Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors, back with the J-O-Ns for episode two or part two, I guess we would call it, Johnny, um, talking about different phases uh, of growth within advisors' businesses and different kind of sizes and scales. So uh, with that being said, why don't you say a quick hello to the audience, Mr. Randall? Hey, great to be on here. I'm especially excited about this segment because this production level of a million to two and a half million in that range, that's typically where we start working with people. So uh, I, I know this one backwards and forwards and am just uh, real excited to help because these people do want to grow. You know, they built a great business, but they want to go to the next level, do eight figures in production and uh there's definitely some ceilings here along the way that we're going to cover and help you break through. Would you call this your sweet spot, Mr. Randall? For our starting place, yeah. We help people go from a million over 10 million is our, our track record. But uh, people tend to start right around this zone. Sure, of course, we have people start you know way under a million. But this like million to two million is probably our most popular uh, starting practice we work with. It's because it's where all the stress begins, my friend. It's where it, it is. Yeah, right. it's the yeah, yeah. Yes. We're gonna dive into it. <laughs> <laughs> Once you introduce other humans into a uh, yes. a business, man, it all it all changes and gets a little bit stressful. So, um, you know, so John, I, just to kind of frame things out for the audience, and I'll ask you to kind of elaborate on both. But um, you know, when you and I kind of pre-gamed on this a little bit, we talked about this million to two and a half million dollar mark being you know, a pivotal place, right? The, the last episode, we talked about that sub million and the things uh, that that group contends with to kind of get into this group. Uh, but this is a group where things start to change. And sometimes the business is a little, a little different, right? So, um, you know, generally to be a million plus and, and up to two and a half million, you're one of two different business models. And obviously there's always exception to the rule, but you're either what I think the industry and you and I uh, would call John um, more of a either lifestyle practice uh, would be one type of business that's in this category. And the second would be what we would call more of an early ensemble business. And by definition, Maybe you could just give a little color to the audience of when we talk about those two categories, you know, what that means to you and what you've seen in some of the folks that you've coached over, over the years. Yeah, so, so we tend to see the individual advisor, they hit a ceiling of individual production around a million to 1.5 million. Somewhere in that range is kind of their individual limit, what we're able to do. Of course, there's outliers that that you know are able to do a lot more. Um, someone I worked with who's who's now retired, they did two million a year in production out of their house, and their wife helped out part time. So that's kind of the lifestyle practice. Is it's uh, it's not as demanding. It's a high level of production. Maybe there's a couple of support people working for that practice, and. You know, that's the neat part of this business. You can build it how you want. I talk to a lot of advisors all the time that say, I don't want to have 10 advisors working for me. I just want to work with my favorite clients 
keep it small, keep it tight, make a great living and be able to be at, you know, whatever it is outside of work, you know, have great balance, be it all my kids stuff, be it uh, the golf course, whatever it is in life you really want to me that that's the lifestyle practice. The, the practice is producing a lifestyle. It's not a big business. It's, it's still much more of a practice, but there's typically one producer that's generating that, you know, really great revenue of 1 million to 2.5 million, very high profit margin, you know, which, which fuels that, uh, that lifestyle. Uh, that's, that's, you know, very much that one. Yeah. Before you go on to the early ensemble, I just, I just wanted to, uh, you know, comment for some of our listeners, that's the Holy grail, right? Like I, I would cheer, mm-hmm. um, some of the best businesses I've ever seen in the industry, cleanest, clean, simple, eloquent advisor working 20 or 30 hours a week. The holy grail is one advisor, probably a little overstaffed with some really capable folks, higher net worth clients, and some of the happiest people that I've ever met in my life running those businesses because they're not dealing with too many humans, right? So I just, I just want to draw that is it's not a bad business model, um, but there, you know, there is like everything pros and cons to both. And I just, you know, w- wanted to make that comment, see if you had any thoughts on that before you move to the early. You're, you're so right. I mean, it's, you know, that it's when you add more humans to the mix is the, you know, complexity uh, variable that happens, but yes, there are people that this is the Holy grail. This is what their buildings towards. And they don't want the complexity of having too many other humans. They don't want other advisors on their team working with others. And, and that's perfectly fine. And going back to, you can build this business exactly the way that you want. That's the awesome part about this industry. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great practice to have. It's going to be about um, you know keeping the number of clients you work with tight right? Because capacity becomes an issue if there is only one advisor. And it's probably more of a, um, you know, we've got a plane with so many seats and there's only only so many seats. So someone's going to get on, someone's going to have to get off. We see a lot of these people might have an alliance with another advisor, another practice to, you know, feed some of the small ones that might not be a fit for you. Or um, uh, if you are siphoning off some people at the bottom of the book to make room for uh, new people coming in at the top of your book, you know, that, that's, that's part of that. But hey, it, it's about a small number of really awesome clients doing a lot for them, having a great team around you that helps out with those clients. And it's very simple. It's a great, great model. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you and I did a session few months back or maybe longer longer ago than that but uh we kind of talked about the book supernova right yes and talked about and that that's i think very much kind of that you know that lifestyle practice you know john i was telling you uh actually in a the mastermind group that you and i coached together uh which we had a great session uh was that just yesterday or two days yeah, ago yeah yesterday uh, yeah that was fun fun group um a lot of smart people in that group um, but I was talking about a, a business that we acquired uh, at late in 2000, at the end of 2022, and it was that business. I mean, it was, you know, uh, under 200 families doing $3 million a year in production, two great staff people that came along with it. And man, that advisor, I call it, has the life of Riley. Like he was, you know, living in Florida part of the year, living in New York part of the year, only met clients virtually, 
saw people twice a year virtually. Every client is like a disciple of the way they do business and doesn't call in between. And like, you look at that and you're like, oh my goodness, like that, that's a pretty cool business. I mean, it was built over 30 years and a lot of hard work to get those clients. But, um, you know, for some, and I could really see it in looking at that business, like netting a couple of million bucks a year and running a clean business without dealing with others is, is, uh, is super interesting. Now, the one distinguishing piece, and, and I'll kind of tee you up, I think, towards more of the ensemble, uh, early ensemble practice, but was, is that, you know, my belief is that while it's, it becomes different skill sets, right? Because at some point when you go more to a ensemble, you're now probably adding an advisor uh, and becoming more of a leader of people or humans, as I'm calling it for some reason in this episode, as opposed to just clients and some folks that are there really to serve you in your lifestyle practice. Um, but I'd love for you to kind of frame out more what that early ensemble looks like. And I just don't want to forget, I think there's an opportunity as well, when you think about the struggle to go to an early ensemble, um, from some of the reading I've done on what I've seen in the industry, is you also get a better valuation on the equity side, right, of the business. And I'd love to just make sure you and I get into that a little um, and, uh, and I love your opinion because you and I haven't ever talked about that. And, and I'm not sure if your views are the same or different. Well, well, just to hit that real quick, um, you know, we, we both, uh, uh, use and talk to David Grau Jr. quite a bit succession resource group. And, um, you know, if, if you think about the value from a, a buyer's perspective, uh, if they're buying something that's going to require a whole lot of work meaning the seller was doing most of the work themselves. They were seeing all the clients, they were doing everything with a lot of resources then to apply. It's a lower, you know, uh, kind of, it's probably a very high profit margin business, you know, which is going to yield a, a, a decent price, but it's not going to be as profitable for the buyer because, you know, then you've got to pay, you know, one or possibly two people to, to run it. Um, to buy a business that's already on autopilot, where everyone, there's already advisors working with all the clients and the owner is more of an owner. They're not the one doing all the work seeing the clients. It's pretty valuable. And David Grau Jr. talks about that, hey, this, we see higher valuations when a buyer can buy something and there's no additional like work. We don't have to apply new advisors to get to know the clients and, and risk uh, attrition. It's just, bam, you just buy it and, and there it is. So yeah. it's, it's interesting it's how funny. that's influencing valuations now. Johnny, it's funny you say that because um, as, as a lot of our listeners know, I consume a lot of podcasts. And um, for those of you who don't listen to uh, Mindy Diamond's podcast, and you know it's, it's uh, Lewis Diamond, uh, I guess, co-hosted as well. Amazing podcast. But um, there was a podcast today um, and they talked just about that, right? They were talking about valuations. It's a good listen. We could put that one in the show notes too, perhaps um, another good listen. But um the interesting part is they were talking about that exact example and how when the advisor, right, is still advising the lion's share of the clients, you know, they went through a hypothetical example and they were talking about how uh, a buyer looks at that and might add 30% of gross revenue on a million dollar business, as an example, to the cost. And then that obviously, in my example, takes away 300,000 of EBITDA I call it an eight or 10 or whatever it may be times multiple. 
um, depending on you know where your business sits. Um, but if you've got an advisor in there already, right, that's actually doing the work and they come along, there is no kind of after current profit, um, you know, change to the EBITDA multiple yeah. expenses of the business. So uh, exactly in alignment. It was a good podcast. I listened to this morning and kind of walk, walk through uh, some similar stuff. It just, it just, that just points to that there's definitely more complexity when you get into, you know, ensembles. And this is the hardest stage to get into early ensemble when you start adding that first advisor that's going to help clients. You know, sometimes we see a lot, somebody moves up the ranks in a practice, they get promoted, you know, they get licensed, they start doing some of clients. Uh, th there's a lot of natural fits there that there's some history of, of working together, uh, that it's really working well. Somebody, you know, again, moves up, starts doing more with clients. Those are great. Um, to find another advisor from the outside to come in, it's difficult. And in, in, in just going back to different humans, when you add more to the mix, it's more difficult. We all have different behavior preferences. And um, we, we've, there's a ton of different assessments out there. We've become a fan of DISC, which is becoming one of the more widely used ones. And it assesses people's behavior preferences. And you, you, you look at just, I, I like the assessment because it gives you uh, motivators and stressors. And sometimes as, as we work with teams and you evaluate people on the team, sometimes one person's motivators are another person's stressors. And teams don't realize that one person is totally stressing someone out unintentionally without realizing it. And so when you add more people, it's, it's possible that that could occur and it makes it difficult and there's turnover. And it's hard if you're only a four or five person business and you have turnover, that hurts. You know, if you're a hundred person business and one person leaves, you probably won't feel it, but it really hurts to have turnover. And one of the hardest parts is the advisor piece to really find another financial advisor that can help you with capacity to help you break that, that typical million to 1.5 million that the individual producer hits the ceiling on to get up to 2 million, two and a half million, there's usually another advisor involved that's either helping you service clients or they are servicing blocks of clients on their own, but it's hard to find a fit and it's hard to find someone that's gonna do things your way and, and really adopt them. But that's the key here is really getting somebody else to help. The highest volume thing you do, the thing that takes the most time is interacting with clients. There's only so much time in a week. Time is a resource that you know we, you can't replace in business. Almost every other thing in business you can replace, but you can't replace time. There's only so many client interactions that a human is capable of in a day or a week or a month or a quarter or a year. So you've got to have somebody else help with this time-consuming task to go to the next level. Yeah, John, last episode, um, you know, we talked a little bit about who, not how, right? The concept as compared to delegating, right? So I think a big difference between that million and under, and that million to two and a half is, you know, in that million or under, you're a delegator, right? In that million to two and a half, you actually need a who, who can perform fun more, I'm going to say more revenue producing or revenue serving or revenue creating um, functionality in the business, which probably takes a little bit more of a higher quality 
um, person or a harder person to find um, at a higher price point, right? And then there's more risk involved. So I feel like a lot of advisors in this category, um, and you can maybe you could talk to all three of these things. One um, has a hard time finding and developing the person, right? Is one. Two, let's call it what it is, is afraid that if they give their clients, the firm's clients to that advisor to serve them, that that advisor um, could steal their clients, mm -hmm. right? And then three, I would call it the, um, you know, kind of nobody's better than me <laughs> uh, perspective, <laughs> which is have a hard time grasping that they're replaceable and that their clients will work with someone else and have a hard time maybe coming to the realization that that advisor, if they're going to work for you, probably isn't you, isn't quite as good as you. And there might be a little bit of a fall off. So I know I hit you with the cut in three, not two on this episode, but you can remember those talking points and talk to them to the best of your ability. That's great. 50-50 if I'll even remember my question. Yeah, so. yeah. well, it's... it's it it's actually okay that you don't hire yourself. Uh, th that is absolutely the number one gap when it comes to adding that next advisor is, you know, the original advisor, the owner is totally wants themselves. But I always say, well, if, if you're hired yourself, they would already have their own business <laughs> or they're going to go off and get their own business. So it's okay to hire someone. They just need to be good enough with clients. They don't have to be you. They don't have to be so good that they're going to leave you one day. They just have to be good enough. And if you are leveraging them to work with your clients, they could handle easier topics. They could handle interactions without you to save you time. And they could handle easy things. You handle the big things. Or what we see a lot of times is you start working with less higher level clients and they start working with the medium or small clients in the book that just don't need as much. They don't need all your advanced uh, knowledge and tactics. They just need to be good enough to help these people, give them value and keep them around. So, yeah, so I'm a bigger fan of that than, you know, if you get somebody that's too good, you're just going to have to feed them so much that you might not be able to keep them. You almost want a, you know, someone that's just good enough. That's fine. You get a whole bunch of those people that that's a that's a great business right there. But you, you, you got to keep in mind, I mean, you, you've got to be able to feed them. You've got to create a good enough job and job growth potential that they're going to want to stay with your small firm. And, you know, that's a conundrum, too. We see a lot of times they'll bring somebody in, they'll bring in that junior advisor, and they don't give them enough opportunity. They don't give them enough uh, opportunity to increase their income, which is usually a desire of a lot of people, and they lose them. So, it's a, it's a, you know, I've said it before, it's one of the hardest points here to really get that solid, you know, second advisor on the team. And it's really to break through these certain points or uh, uh, I, I, I think it's one of the biggest conundrums. Now, a lot of you might have that person in here. And um, uh, a, a lot of times these early ensembles just aren't quite, uh, a, you know, able to put the right people in the right seats to really hit that, that growth level 
the owner sometimes can't shift away from letting go of the smaller clients, letting go of the lower level tasks. They need to constantly escalate their investment of time to get a bigger return. They need to do higher quality things, which means rainmaking, bringing in new business, higher level clients. That's really key at this stage. And, you know, that other advisor taking on easy interactions, smaller clients, it's critical here. And for some of you, it might be adding a second advisor to go past a couple of million to, to give you the capacity to really grow. These are critical elements of this uh, this early stage here. Yeah, took the words out of my mouth, John. Um, you know, I want to just take a couple of the salient points that I heard you make. One, um, you know, I, I, I heard you say, and I completely agree, that they don't need to be the greatest advisor on the planet, right? Now, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be super competent and be able to give really good advice and follow your process and be knowledgeable. I think what it means is they don't need to be the greatest go-getter in the world. They don't need to, on a scale of one to 10, from a you know perspective of wanting to hit the phones and buy businesses and build CPA partnerships and do all of that kind of finder work, I call it. Man, I don't think we need that. I think we need a, a minder, right? Someone who is relationship focused and wants to build deep, meaningful relationships with clients and doesn't want to work 60 hours a week, is happy working 40 or 45 and doesn't need to make a million dollars a year. So one of the mistakes that I think you and I would both agree on, John, is sometimes we're searching for us and we're constantly let down because they don't have that chutzpah and they didn't walk uphill in the snow with no shoes each way like like I did and you did, right, et cetera. Um, and I always say we, we want about a six or seven on motivation. If you have someone who's a nine or a 10 on motivation, eventually they're going to try to rule the roost and they wanna be you, right? So that's one piece. And then the other piece um, that I want to hit on uh, as well is, you know, the importance, and you hit this with being able to kind of make sure there's enough work for that advisor to do, and that by you having time to do the business development, I think advisors sometimes put the onus on the junior advisor to market and rain make. And I'm not saying if they're good at it, and they like it that they should never, but for most part, the advice that choose to work for you um, want to serve clients, hopefully drive referrals, right? Get, get more organic business from the clients. Um, and I think advisors sometimes want that advisor to become a marketer and prospector. And I would just love your kind of two cents on that one. Yeah, you're so right. You really shouldn't need them to do that. You know, you should look at, uh, you know, you listings are probably the rainmaker, um, you'll be, have the ability to bring in more than they ever will. And um, I, I think you're right that uh, uh, there's this internal desire that, oh, they have to go through the hell that I went through to be an advisor. Well, no one's going to do that anymore. The way a lot of us started, there's a reason that firms don't do that because there was such a low success rate. And even though you're one of the outliers that made it, no one else is going to do it. Another advisor's best value is to handle the highest volume thing and most time consuming thing that goes on in your practice is talking to clients. And the freer you get from that, you can go out and bring in way better clients. And if you make that shift of you're working more with your top clients, guess what? You're going to get more referrals with upper seven figure clients in your practice. So you just need them to keep people around, to keep people happy. 
hold easy interactions, deal with the medium and smaller clients to keep you free. That that's their role. It's a big mistake to set them up to, you know, come in and go and you got to get, you know, 10 leads and you got to close one this month and you got to keep them away from that. It's got to be all about uh, them helping with the highest volume thing. That's going to take your ensemble to the next level. Yeah. I think we're uh, in unison on that one. Um, I, you know, John, I want to hit one or two questions and then we'll look to wrap here. Um, if I said to you, two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, you would think of what company? Big Mac, McDonald's. There you go. My end's amazing. And right now, I think you can not only get a Big Mac, but you can get a second Big Mac for $2 or less, just so you know, um, if you were interested. Uh, that might be gone by the time this airs. So, but, uh, but anyway, um, I say that to go, that is how you make a Big Mac and it's delicious. And any restaurant you go to and McDonald's, right? Franchise model, they, the burgers taste the same. Although sometimes they put mustard on it in some areas, which uh, I don't know if that's on a Big Mac, but maybe on a burger. But anyway, um, I say that to go, as you're in this phase of starting to rely on another advisor, right? What is your special sauce, right? And I think I want, I'd love for you to just speak a little bit about kind of the significance of kind of client experience and having a repeatable process at this level of business um, that's in writing and understandable. It's really important because a, a lot of times here, the, the business and what's done with clients, it's in the, you know, the owner's head or the, the first advisor's head. And not a lot is clearly documented. So when that next advisor comes in, they don't know what the heck to do. <laughs> and there isn't a clear communication of here's what we do around here. Here's exactly what we do with clients throughout the year. So organizing some of that is, is so critical. And again, it's a busy stage of business. There isn't a lot of time to like stop and document and write all this out. So that's where you know we see working with these practices, we have so many examples of this that here's a typical client experience timeline. Here's how many interactions could occur. Here's the topics that could be talked about in each of those interactions. So you get you know kind of the playbook out there and you find, okay, where can this advisor help run this play or can they run the entire play with a medium or smaller client without you? You know, that's got to be organized and laid out for your firm. So it's it's a difficult point to do, but I find using some examples can can help jumpstart that. And again, email me if you want any examples. Uh, we're, I'm happy to share them anytime, john at xfa.coach um, of just you know what it looks like, but how to conduct a meeting, maybe an agenda, uh, what the topic is, what the different topics are for clients throughout the year, you know, what prep is like, what follow-up is like. The more consistent that is, the, the better. You almost have to think like um, you're more like a big manufacturing business when you get to that point. So like McDonald's, for example, they crank out a whole lot of burgers, right? And it's very organized process of how they are able to handle so many so quickly at a high quality. And the more that you document this, the more that you show others what to do, that's the key to getting to the larger ensembles. But at this early stage, you've got to be able to find that second, that third advisor on your team. They've you know, basically got to be able to run your play. They've got to be able to do what your firm does and deliver your secret sauce. But you got to be able to lay it out and you got to be able to teach it to them. That's a, that's a big gap. 
Yeah, com- completely agree. And I think, um, I think, John, that's a good natural spot for us to kind of pause here, because I, I think, and, you know, for our listeners, there's always going to be some crossover, right? So, you know, John was starting to go into leadership and building leadership skills and right the importance as we talk about process of having it in writing and kind of making it tangible and trackable so on etc um so you know as you listen to this as a series right what you need to understand as a listener is you know part of what we're going to teach in our next episode episode three which is that 2.5 million i forget if we're going to 5 million or 10 million Mm -hmm. or where we are i think it's 5 million what needs to happen you know in the business there but you've got to get started right as you get closer to the two and a half million dollar number you got to get started on some of the activities that are going to become more and more important in that two and a half to five million. So starting to build the visions in your business, focusing on leadership, having meetings, maybe using an operating system like EOS or 40X or something like that. So I just wanted to kind of put those uh, those pieces together. But John, um, great dialogue as always. Uh, I appreciate your uh, your input. Um, and to our listeners, I hope you got a lot of value out of today's uh, podcast. And uh, like I said, building blocks, right? It's building blocks. And the nice thing about this, I think, is if you listen to it as a package, it's nice to know what's on the other side. So if yeah. you can know what you need to do as a $10 million producer, you can already be looking for those things and learning about them and being a student of them uh, before they might even be necessary. So, Johnny, thanks for uh all the uh, pearls of wisdom today. Hey, thank you. It's exciting. Can't wait for the next one. You got it. All right. Well, and to our listeners, thank you uh, as always for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. If you yourself or anyone you know could be a good, interesting guest on the show, uh, please drop us a note and we'll do our best to see if we can get you or that special someone on. And as always, don't keep us a secret. Please press like, make comments, and please send this over to friends uh, and other folks that you think might be able to benefit. So with that, make it a great day. And thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.